I don't have an agenda either. Well, I, I don't lead things without agendas. I'm not that kind of leader. Okay. Well, I don't lead things with or without agendas. So uh, we are sheep without a shepherd today. <laughs> yes. Yeah, see how uncomfortable I can make you. Yeah, I feel all, all OCD. We have to start by saying like, you know, you're listening to that Jesus podcast or something. I'm your host, Titus you're, Kipfer. You're getting all hot and flustered. I'm very... Uh, get started, Titus. Um, come on. Come on. I am going to our Facebook page. And I'm go- uh, here it is. It popped up. That's a sign. I published this April 22. It is currently June 10. I asked our listeners, is there a topic you would like us to cover? So this is how we work on this program. A month and a half later, we, we, we consider addressing the topics. Effective communication was suggested by <laughs> Ryan Dickerson. <laughs> And I just would like to say that I don't, I don't even think we need to talk about it because we're demonstrating it right now. <laughs> um, awesome. Thank you, Mr. Um, Dickerson. Amira Chatter, I just would like to go on record to say that is a fantastic last name, suggested that we talk about Hutterites. Do you know anything about Hutterites? Um, I mean, I know the basics. There Was in- Mr. Hutt... Um, that was the dude, the Anabaptist reformer, right? He was the guy who started football. What? Hut, 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 and never mind. No. No. He was an Anabaptist reformer, and I guess he probably talked about communal living. If yeah. It, if that's Jacob, kind of what his followers do. Jacob Hutt. Jacob Hutter started the Hutter. Hutter. And he was, I think it was Hutter. And he... um he kind of came from the stream of Anabaptist, the whole Schleichheim confession and mm. all that, but he really emphasized the communal aspect and living in, in like colonies. Um, so I actually had the opportunity. I lived for most of a year in a church, a charity church that was about 50% Hutterite background believers. And shortly before I left, we had the opportunity to go and, raid a Hutterite colony that did not want their people to leave and bring out a family. That was kind of... work. Yeah, I think it was... I I felt like maybe it was a little overwrought. I know in some cases it really is kind of police state in Hutterite colonies, and in other cases it's not. And I feel like they were just really grumpy. Nobody would help them move. And so we went in, and they were really grumpy with us. (laughs) And so we just took out their personal belongings. We couldn't take out anything except like you know, family pictures and some clothing type idea because like Hmm. most of the furniture and everything belonged to the colony. But um, Hmm. yeah, they were good people. I always liked their, their honesty. I remember one uh, Randy Waldner trying to explain how to say something in, in Hooterish to me. And I I really tried to get it. And Hooterish? 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 They have their own language? Uh, Their own dialect of Plattdeutsch or whatever it is. Uh, Somebody should help us out. Anyhow, and he's like, oh, very good, Drew. You, you catch on pretty fast after a while. And, and that's, that's how to rights for you. They're very kind, but kind of like to give you a hard time. Okay, Miss Chatter, I'm sure, is thrilled with uh, all the great content that we just generated 
on Hutterites, so we can probably move on. To well, I actually wonder if they had something else in mind. They probably do you have any opinions? Like... Do you have any opinions about communal living? I think that's probably the elephant in the room. I like the idea. I would prefer it to be a little more voluntary than what the Hutterites appear to be. <laughs> um, Theirs tend to be a little more like biologically based. You're born into it. Although, didn't um, Dean Taylor, the president of Seller University College, college, didn't he like join a Hutterite colony for a while? I feel like he probably joined most groups. Fact <laughs> <laughs> <Backcheck>, check true. <laughs> Okay, Joshua Lloyd Parker, how would you think the Anabaptists and early Christians would have viewed Sola Scriptura? Ooh. So next week, I'm doing a interview conversation with a gentleman who just released a book on Revelation. And he doesn't say that we should not read Sola Scriptura, but one of his key... Concepts. I would just yes. like to, I'd just like to point out that I'm discovering this along with our <laughs> listeners. What what you're recording next? Week. Yeah, well, I mentioned it to you in passing, um, um, and I yeah. anyhow, it's going to be really cool. He he emphasizes sure. that we have to read the Book of Revelation through a Jesus lens and mm. recognize that it is about two kingdoms and Jesus being the King of one kingdom that brings peace to the disaster of the world. So I think I think after after that conversation we'll have more to say about it but I would agree that the way at least for the person on the street or the baptist on the street the way sola scriptura is often seen is um not really what anabaptists would have thought back in the day. Does and my wife ringing? is trying to call me. Okay, you can pick up. I'll just monologue. Okay, Drew is back off the phone. Um, his wife wanted to know if he needed something at Aldi. Apparently that warranted two phone calls. Yep. So did you need anything, by the way? Um, well, what she wanted me to do was to get out of my little recording studio here and go check the cabinets and see if there was anything mm-hmm. missing. And I and didn't just want not to do happening. that. So I just, just told her happening. to buy lots of fruits and vegetables. So. That's good. That's good. Yeah. So we could revisit church leadership and abuse at some point. Yeah, All right. Well, Sarah, can I can I just say though we did cover yes. this with um, John Carlson the other week, and um, there was a lot of good there. We'll probably visit again, but um, I think that's why he said continue on church yeah. leadership. I think he probably enjoyed that one. I'm not doing any editing on this, by the way. <laughs> this is <laughs> you. This is really good for you. This is a spiritual discipline for you to no. To I will. This. I will edit this one. I have time. Not if I release it before you get your grimy fingers on it. <laughs> you, okay. you don't remember your sign-in. <laughs> That's, that is true. Um, I have the email address, though, so I can change the password. And oh, boy. All right. Sarah Yoderbeiler. I used to be in a church with Sarah Yoderbeiler, and we both left that church. <laughs> so there's that. Um, I really like Sarah and her husband, Dan. They're friends of mine. Um, he, she commented, and... <laughs> And said, vasectomies, this is an answer to the question, what should we talk about? Vasectomies, fathers voluntarily paying child support, the need for fathers to abort their careers and be stay-at-home parents, etc., etc. How to persuade men to stop discussing women's reproductive choices and focus on their own reproductive responsibilities. (laughs) I assume this is in regard to the many times we talk about abortion on this podcast. Um, Yeah. Uh, that feels more like a point to be made rather than a point of discussion. 
So, but, oh, it looks like there's some other people commenting on on this as well. A little discussion going on, which I I do highly advise everyone listening go on our Facebook page if you have comments on our podcast and begin discussions. We'd love mm-hmm. to we'd love to see that. But I did talk to Sarah on on private messenger DM, not PM. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we talked about this a little bit. I I'm a, a supporter of everything she mentioned. <sighs> Well, the need for fathers to abort, good pun there, abort yep. their careers and be stay-at-home parents. I feel what like do you think point. about that? Do you, So we, we have, in society, women generally stay at home and raise their children more than men. And I've been thinking about this because, you know, we have three boys who are very rambunctious and... I noticed that when Brenna gets some time away from the children, she generally comes back a little happier. <laughs> it's it's <Really>? very necessary. <laughs> it's you very necessary for man. her to get away. And and often when she gets back and I've been watching the kids for a while, I'm less happy. So <laughs> it it is very stressful to be a, a full-time stay-at-home parent, especially in the situation we're in. So I have been thinking about this like if if Brenda would have a job where she could work one or two days a week just to get away from the kids some, I think that would be amazing. And I'd be happy to stay at home with the kids one or two days a week. Now, the the idea of like me staying at home or any father for for um for that matter, staying at home full time with the parents, I mean with the the babies and mm-hmm. and the mother being away at work full time. I guess that would be fine in some situations. I, I certainly think that raising the kids should be a shared responsibility. And, and I, I even think it's healthy for the mother to be able to, to work part-time just so she doesn't have the drudgery of, of homemaking full-time. Unless she wants to, then go ahead and do it. Um, having said that, I, I think that at least in my marriage, and this isn't how it is in every situation, but I think this might be a, a norm, mm-hmm. biological norm, that the mother tends to do a, a better job mm-hmm. <laughs> raising the children than the father. So if we're sharing the responsibility, I think it it's healthy, at least in, in most situations, for the mother to be at home most of the time. And then, of course, we can bring in the little proof text that women should be keepers at home, right? Um, what do you think? I know this is probably getting you all riled up. <laughs> No, I'm not right. Sister Drew. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, working backwards, um, the the primary proof text people talk about is in Titus to keepers at home. Yeah. But the <laughs> the translation that, that really gets the concept here is more like good managers of their home, um, taking care of that which is at home. It's not so much uh command that women need to be locked up at home twenty four seven taking care of their children. And the husbands need to work their eight to twelve hour shifts and then come home and be treated like kings by the wife. That's that's just although not that really sounds in the nice at all. <laughs> it sounds really nice if you are a male person. <laughs> uh, what, yeah, and unf- the, what, people unf- who menstruate is what we call women now. What <laughs> what do we call men without saying the word yes. men? Anyhow, you said male person that that works, but there has to be something else that's more inclusive. Yeah, but uh, even as we kind of make these weird jokes about gender um, and such, I think we can recognize there is an extreme where all distinctions in gender are broken down, 
and there's no there's no sense of I'm a man, God made me a man, or I'm a woman, God made me a woman, and I embrace that. The other extreme is when you embrace every single stereotype about manliness and femaleness and never bring that never bring the stereotypes of gender under the lens of scripture. Um, so with, <laughs> with all that said, no, I don't think that there can be, there's really a biblical case to be made to say that women shouldn't ever work out of the home or to say that men shouldn't ever stay at home. You know, like you said, some, some parts of the week or whatever. Um, Sarah Beth's comment or Sarah's comment or whoever it was. Sarah Yoder. Sarah Yoder. Okay. Um, does get to the thing where we tend to equate children. Sorry, with... it's Sarah Sarah Byler. Sarah Byler. Okay. See, I have a friend named Sarah Beth Boyer, and yeah. Anyhow, Sarah Yoder Byler. There we go. <laughs> yeah. The the critique that um, we, children are just seen as a women's issue is really devastating and indicts the men. Um, so absolutely, Titus, you should be supportive of your wife's endeavors and encourage her. And if you're not going to have, if you're going to be gone for half the day and she has to take care of your children at home, you need to support her, enable her and equip her to do that with joy and with mental health and with all the fruits of the spirit. Amen. Um, I still would like to know what, what do you like, like suppose we were in a world where, on average, men stayed at home with the kids just as much as their wives. Is that a more ideal world than the one we live in now? I, th- <laughs> I, I'm such a stereotype of my or a caricature of myself. Um, I think that every context, every situation you find yourself in, will have pros and cons, and so, sort of a male centered workplace and a female centered home is what we have in the West today. If you go back 200 years, 300 years, that's not the way it was. Men and women worked in industry together and families ran industry. You also had child labor, wait, which wasn't wait, always wait, so wait, cool. Wait, 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 Th- You're telling me 300 years ago, women worked outside of the home just as much as men? Well, the idea, the definition of this like little nuclear home where you had your your parlor and you had your kitchen and it it just didn't even exist as such. Men and women would work on the farm. They would work in the manor. They would, um, you have this, this, uh, you're not answering the question though. I just, I don't think this statement you're making is historically accurate. I'm trying to answer the question, but you're using a framework that doesn't really allow me to answer the question. Um, so, so this idea of, I think Beth Allison Barr calls it the cult of domesticity where a wife is supposed to keep her home nicely, that didn't exist until it was created in the Victorian era. And before that, men and women both worked, you know, on it was, you know, whether it was subsistence, subsistence farming or factory work, everybody did everything because they had to, because they had to, to get by. This idea of a woman staying at home all day long while the man works all day long and then he come home and you know kisses her in the evening at five o'clock when he walks to the door. That just didn't really exist in in sure. Western culture. 
until I, I would like to point out that we're doing exactly what Sarah does not want us to do, which is talking about these gender issues as two men yeah. in the room, which is I, which is ironic and funny. But I, I still I'm I'm going to keep pressing you on this okay. because I don't think you're being completely accurate. Sure, like the the current setup uh, where men leave home and have a 20 minute commute and work at their career and come home by five. I agree like that. That's probably an anomaly historically, but women doing most of the childcare, for example, mm-hmm. I do not think that is a, a, okay. a unusual, unusual situation that we have in, in the 21st century. I feel like that has been consistent throughout history. Sure. Um, no, I think, I think you could, um, definitely make an argument and I'm not a historian that, that childcare has always been the domain of women more than men. I'm not even making a judgment call at this point. I'm not even making a judgment call. I'm just saying, let's be historically accurate. Sure. Okay. Like it may have not been exactly like it is now. How old is a child? The domain of childcare was with, was with women. I'd say five years old and younger. (laughs) Exactly. Five years old and younger. Exactly. Yeah. But I'm not going to send my six-year-old out to, out to work for a living. Um, and so, yeah, obviously with things like, you know, breastfeeding and just the natural way um, mother and child tend to relate when they're very young, when they're infants and toddlers, would tend to indicate that women have a primary role that men do not. I, I think yeah. that that's kind of biologically bound. So you you think that that is a good thing that that is part of the creation order that when children are young that women that that the mother should be the primary caregiver is that correct I think that that is part of the general creation order with the caveat I'm not saying if somebody is working outside of the creation order that means they're in sin or outside of God's will but okay. yes right. I think I think that's fair All right um at least we didn't discuss women's reproductive choices, um, but I feel like we probably did something. Abortion is still wrong. In this conversation, yeah, abortion is not a, not good. Everybody. Well, that's all the questions we have. I really think we did them justice. This is <laughs> oh my goodness, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. This is what happens when Drew and Titus have have an ongoing crisis of purpose in our <laughs> yeah. podcast and people still appreciate us and want us to continue and uh, we want to continue but mm. we're really wrestling with what we're supposed to be doing with this platform that God has blessed us with. <laughs> it's we have to, we need to steward it well. <laughs> and Titus, I have a question for you. Go ahead. Uh you're a small business owner, right? I am. So do you like that? I do. Yeah. I have a close friend at, at church that um, as a small business owner, actually, uh, I think most of the brothers at church are small business owners, except for yeah, me. Yeah, you're in a Mennonite church. Yeah, except for me. And I I just finished a school year, and I have the next eight or nine weeks, quote unquote, off. And I'm just really thankful that I don't have to be a small business owner. So I wanted you to tell me why why I should become a small business owner. Um, see, when I got out of high school, I started doing masonry because that's what you do. You join the local Mennonite construction crew and I hated it. And then I did lawn care and I hated it. I've done other types of construction and hated it. 
I've hated every day of going to work basically until I started my own business. And then I actually started enjoying work and found purpose in work and started doing my work well. That's just how I'm that's how I'm wired. It's not how everyone is wired. I I need ownership. Like I I just had a really hard time caring without actually feeling like I had ownership over what I was doing. And that's probably because of the field I was working in. I don't have any passion for construction or lawn care. So the only way that I can really care about it in any meaningful way is if I have the challenge of having to interact with clients and gotcha. growing a business. That that brings some joy and pleasure in, in, in my work for me. So I started I, I started enjoying work. I started doing it better. I started making a lot more money. Um so I, I enjoy that. Now I'm I'm not planning to run my lawn care company for the rest of my life. I'm hoping to start a business in another part of the world. But I, mm-hmm. I still really enjoy entrepreneurship. It's a challenge. It's exciting. Um I I cannot stand just clocking in and and doing a day of work. Now, there might be certain fields where I I could stand it. Like if I was hired by a podcasting company, <laughs> not to clock in at eight and make podcasts until four. I think I'd enjoy that. Even teaching students, yeah, I could I could maybe get into that. Or if I got a PhD and um, was a professor, like there are some things that I, I really think I could enjoy. But more blue-collar labor or if I'm working in a field where the, the actual work piece of it is not as thrilling, then, then the entrepreneurship kind of takes the place of, of that for me and makes it exciting. It makes it feel like there's a purpose to it or you somehow manner matter (laughs) i mean growing a business is fun like having to figure (sighs) out having i'm literally having anxiety as i as i listen to you say growing a business is fun it it is anxiety inducing for sure but like it's it's also exciting (laughs) like buying buying new equipment hiring holding the lives of your employees in your hands not to mention your own life and your family's life I mean, treating your employees well is is actually really enjoyable. Like, I pay mm. my employees quite a bit more than they would make in other companies doing the same work. Now, granted, my employees do better work than most employees. I I've tended I tend to just hire good, actually good, skilled workers. <laughs> do they and motivated to your workers. podcast? No. Well, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I highly doubt it. Um, they get paid really well. I if they if they mess up, which is rare. Um, I, I just shrug. (laughs) Um, I let them buy drinks on, on the company card and and stuff like that. So like it, it's fun treating employees in, in a way that I wish I was treated when I was an employee. Um, and I think they appreciate that. Hopefully they better would if you're listening guys. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, I think the idea of being a small business owner, being able to live out the Sermon on the Mount two people, you know, the, the golden rule, if you will, that could be exciting. That could be cool. Um, yeah, I just talked with an old friend when we were out in Pennsylvania for our friends of the pod, Christopher and Kimberly's wedding. And he's Mm -hmm. a small business owner, medium sized business owner, really. And it's his whole life. He's like, I get more fellowship with my business planning group, spiritual edification than he does from his church. And, and that may have been a slight indictment on his, I don't know, but um, but it's it was interesting to see how much passion he got out of that, and I'm like, oh boy, 
I, I do appreciate, and like, I definitely don't clock in and out from eight to four. I'm at school at seven in the morning, seven 30, and it's often five o'clock before I get home. Obviously all summer long, I'll be working on stuff, but to know, to have the stability of, of a job means a lot to me. So. I mean, it's somewhat of a myth that if you own a business, it has to consume your whole life. I mean, for me, like in, in mowing season, yeah, it takes tons of my time and a lot of my mental space. But mm-hmm. over the winter, I mean, I can take off for a month if I want to. Um, I think that, that people wh- whose businesses just consume them, yeah, I, I guess they really enjoy their businesses and just want to make a lot of money. Well, but it doesn't have to. Either that or... Or that their business is not doing well enough and they have to push it as hard as possible up the, you know, up the hill to when they finally can succeed. That's what I've I often know. seen. Maybe. Um, why are we talking about this? <laughs> why are we talking about anything, Titus? What is this? <laughs> it was a question because it's it, for, for those who aren't with us in, in real time, which is anyone other than the two of us, it's 2.30 in the afternoon here and... You're like, hey, let's do a podcast. And I'm like, aren't you supposed to be a work young man? Um, so. Yeah, this week, I didn't have as much work this week. That's a nice Thanks. thing. You can... So what are you guys <sighs> doing in church these days? Talking about clothing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> and what? which text are you centering that conversation around? Uh, Texts that address women. Oh. Okay, yeah. and and like which which texts actually tend to speak directly about clothing? Uh, Jesus <coughs> said, "Do not worry about it." Yeah, and James said, "Don't don't show your your clothing as a status symbol, and don't judge people based on what they're wearing." Yeah. So those are the passages you're talking about. You're trying to be really careful not to judge people based yeah, on what they wear. Really cool. trying to figure out how not to worry about it. Nice. That's, We've been convicted that we're worrying too much about clothing, and <laughs> that seems really he- healthy. This this summer, I'm working on working through some of Paul's toughest teachings, and he doesn't really talk that much about clothing. Although some people would kind of shoehorn the topic into some things he says, um, and like thinking about what are the what are the most obnoxious difficult things that Paul said that we have to wrestle with and just putting them out to the church and walking through it. But um yeah, I'm also just wrapping up the book of Acts here. And I don't know, the book of Acts just kind of just kind of fizzles to an end. You know, like E. E. Cummings says, it ends not with a bang but a whimper. And and you just don't really know what, what really happened. I guess I guess we're here today, and that's the end of the book of Acts, right? Hmm. What didn't uh, Mark Driscoll start a <laughs> yeah Acts twenty nine? Yeah, that's us. Yep. But I yeah, I'm gonna miss the book of Acts as we finish it. But um, I just kind of like the low key way it ends. Paul welcomed all who visited him. So there you have community steward um hospitality, right? And while he welcomed all who visited him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So mm. that's kingdom life, folks. I'm kind of liking the low-key way that this episode really should be ending. <laughs> if it's not, yeah, I, I, I really, I really think we gotta, we gotta wrap this up. <laughs> yeah, I think we should take this up behind the barn and put it out of its misery. <laughs>
Thank you for all of our Patreon supporters. I, I'm somewhat shocked we still have you. <laughs> we are not taking anybody for granted. We're just <laughs> acting like it. We are in the midst of a creative crisis here. So uh, yeah, we're yeah, a lot of crises in our lives. <laughs> okay, Titus, you have a good, good, fun rest of the week mowing lawns. I'm done mowing lawns. It's Friday. Okay, then have fun with your children. I'm going to go golfing with my dad. Is that a beachy thing? Um, not really, but my dad's a little left wing. Yeah. Ooh, spicy. Okay. Fat Jesus Podcast is part of the Kingdom Outpost Podcast Network. For more articles, podcasts, and other resources, go to kingdomoutpost.org.